Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. We come to chapter 8, and you're going to notice a pattern over the course of, of the weeks because you see a friend, a quote-unquote friend, speaks and basically says, Job, you're a sinner. And then he's done, and Job comes back, and, and Job says, no, I'm not. And then we move on to the next chapter, and the next friend, friend, speaks, Job, you're a sinner. No, I'm not. And this kind of goes on for a while. So we're in chapter 8, and now the next friend... Bildad, is, uh, is going to come up and basically tell Job what's wrong with him. Don't you love it when people come up and tell you what's wrong with you? I remember one time, I always liked Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, Charles M. Schultz, just always seemed like he had his finger right on the pulse speed of where I was and, and what I needed to see. And I remember one time Charlie Brown was, was standing there, and Lucy came up and said, Charlie Brown, I've been thinking about you, and I made a list of all your faults. And, and she gave him this list, like he opens it up, it's like a scroll just running behind him. And then she comes back to the next panel. Oh, I have a few more. And she kind of took a paperclip and paperclipped more on. He said, stop thinking about me. Uh, Sometimes I think that's how we can feel when people just, you feel like the old Jewish joke, is anything I do okay? Is there anything okay with me? Well, I think that's probably how Job felt because look at chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to first off look at Bildad. And then we're going to move on to Bildad's presumption. But I want to look at Bildad first as we look at verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said. Now, I want to pause there because I want to kind of help you understand who Bildad is. Bildad the Shuhite, from what we can understand from Scripture, we go back to Genesis chapter 25, and you'll remember that Abraham had been married to Sarah and that Sarah passed away. And in chapter 25, we're told that Abraham took another wife, and her name was Keturah. And we don't talk much about, about Keturah's kids. In fact, sometimes that's all we refer to them as. There's, there's Ishmael and Isaac and then Keturah's kids. It's like this like, little group. Well, in chapter 25, verse 2, we're told that the youngest kid that Abraham fathered from Keturah is named Shua. And it is traditionally understood that Bildad the Shuhite is a descendant of this child that was born to Abraham and Keturah, and that he was probably over in the area of modern Arabia. So we're, we're talking about a gentleman who came from the area of Arabia, came to where uh, Job uh, was, was really struggling because of the loss, and, and this is his background. So I want you to see biblically, there's tie togethers here because Bildad the Shuhite would be directly related to Abraham which puts this still really, really in the, in the realm of the area of time that we know as the patriarchal period. And we've seen that as we've gone through and looked at chapter 1 and following. Job, probably the oldest book in the Hebrew Scriptures in the sense of what it's recorded. Because we didn't get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus until Moses, so he recorded earlier events, but they were recorded later. 
So Job, probably one of the, the oldest books of the Bible, and it's a contemporary. Job is a contemporary in the framework of time, as is Abraham. So here's Bildad the Shuhite, and he is going to open his mouth and say unto him, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Now, doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy for Job? Job, how long are you going to sit here and blow hot air? How long are you going to stand there and just kind of, just, just, just make noise? These friends were supposed to come and comfort him. I'm not sensing a lot of comfort here. I'm sensing a lot of, of really meanness and, and almost vindictiveness, almost like, well, you know, kind of what we see in the world today when people are suffering. Well, you sort of deserve it. You know, it's interesting, the Holocaust do you know Jewish people are actually being blamed today for the death of six million of them? It was their fault, because nobody liked you, that six million of you died. It's like, really? How does that work? How is, how, how is the fact that you kill six million innocent people their fault because you don't like them? I don't get it. But see, that's how the world operates. The world has a way of putting a spin on things that can, as the songwriter said many years ago, what's wrong today is what's right today. And what's right today is what's wrong today. Because why? Anything goes. It was even happening back then. So, first off, his words are like a strong wind. And, you know, compare that with chapter 6. Just look over real quick at chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. You know, he's saying, look, I understand that I'm probably coming across maybe a little over the top, but he was in pain. He was suffering. He was hurting. The weight of all that he was asked to endure was, was just a burden on him. And so he says, I understand sometimes maybe I seem a little rash, maybe I seem a little over the top, but he wants them to understand I'm hurting here. And you know, sometimes when we go visit people who are hurting and sick, they, they can be a little cantankerous and, and, and difficult. And you know why? Because they're hurting. And, and we need to understand that. We need to be compassionate. We need to understand, you know, I, I've mentioned to you before how much I love hospitals. Sorry, nurses. I, I understand. Um... I was not the most pleasant patient because I wasn't, A, I wasn't feeling well, and B, I was in captivity. And it just wasn't like, oh, wow, let's all just get together and sing Kumbaya. It wasn't that kind of experience. I mean, the Lord has worked through this and shown me a great deal. But I'll tell you, at the time, it was really hard, as they say, to see the forest because there were just so many trees. And that's where Job is. And here his friends are coming to comfort him and saying, you're just blowing hot air. Not only that, he goes on and he says in verse 3, does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert peace? You know, he, he's, he's basically saying, well, you know God. You, you've been kind of touting him for, for all these, these, these hours here. Does God really ever subvert judgment, or, or does he pervert justice? You see, what he's saying is, the problem here is you, not God. And you know, sometimes I think that, that people can begin to feel that way when we see people going through difficulties like this. He goes on, he says, if your sons have sinned against him, 
He has cast them away for their transgression. Not only does he impugn Job, he then comes after his kids. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Job in a matter of seconds to lose not only everything, but to lose his children? Let me tell you, losing a spouse is hard. Losing a parent is hard. By God's grace, I've never experienced the loss of a child. And I'm told that that is pain that hurts like nothing else. You know, when, when you have children, you expect your children to bury you. You're not supposed to bury your kids. And Job had to do that. And this, this comforter, this encourager, is now even putting the blame and laying it on the, 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 the feet of the children. It was their fault. And I, again, the world sees things this way. I understand that. I've, I've experienced it in the years of ministry that the Lord has given us. He says, your sons are cast away because of sin. He also goes on here, verses 5 through 7, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. He, he would, uh, he would uh, you know, intervene for you and prosper your rightful habitation. Oh, my folks. <laughs> You know, I, I look at this, and I understand what Bildad is saying. And, and, you know, there are times when sinners do need to repent. I remember in my own life going to, back in the 60s, I was at a film that was called The Restless Ones. It was a 16-millimeter black-and-white Billy Graham extravaganza that was shown in the high school in Riverside, New Jersey. And I remember watching that movie, and I remember, look, I was a kid, about 9, 10 years old. It was dealing with drug addiction. It was dealing with alcohol. It was dealing with, with young people that were out of control and, and that were breaking and robbing and robbing and doing all kinds of things. I didn't do any of that. My mom wouldn't let me. I actually had to ask permission to like cross the street kind of thing. You know, no. And if you knew Vera, you know that you didn't cross Vera. But you know what? At the end of that movie... God spoke to my heart, and I, I realized then in the 60s, at the height of, of all that was going on as far as the, the war and the, and the fear that were gripping people because of the late great planet Earth, which was very prevalent and prominent in those days, that God didn't have any children or grandchildren. He only had sons and daughters. And I asked my grandmother if it was okay if I went forward when Billy Graham gave the invitation, and she said, by all means. And it was on that day that I met Jesus as Lord and Savior. So there are times when we have to call sin, sin. And there are times when we all need to repent. And we need to confess our sin because he says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But I think Bildad is taking a little, a little too much here. And I think he's presuming some things that he doesn't understand. Remember, we know chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job. We're privy to information he's not. And we understand what's happening here. And, and Bildad, while not speaking falsehood, is not speaking entirely correctly. He believes that if Job were to seek the Lord, and let me tell you, I'm reading what Job says, and Job poured his heart out before God, and he never questioned. He never hesitated. He never backed down. He, he trusted the Lord. He then, verses 7 through 10, in Bildad's uh, presumption, he, he cites history. He says here, uh, take a look, verse 8. 
For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. He's saying, look at what people in the past have said. Look what they understood, and compare that with where you are. Learn from the past. He then goes on, and then he's going to cite imagery and, and illustration from nature. Beginning in verse 11, can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. He, he's putting forth ideas from nature that even if a plant isn't cut down, even if it's in its natural environment, it can still die. It can, still, it can still wither. And he's saying, so are the paths of those who forget God. They might be looking well, and they might be feeling well, and they might be healthy, but sometimes death comes. And those that don't know the Lord can pass away, just as plants and, and, and crops and animals in nature pass away. He continues here. He says, whose confidence shall be cut off and whose trust is the spider's web. He's saying that their trust, what they're trusting in apart from the Lord is about as secure as a spider's web. Which is, if you know, that's like nothing, just cobwebs. He leans on his house, but he does not stand. He holds it fast, but does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. Reminds me of when Jesus said that the sower went forth to sow. And remember, some seed fell upon the rocky soil and it immediately began to spring up. There was life, but there was no depth to the roots. There was no place to go because there was rock underneath. And even though there was the appearance of life, the crop died. The plant died because there was no depth. That's, I think, the direction he's going here. And he's telling you the unsaved people may look like they have life. They may look like and spring up like they have life. But without the Lord, without your roots anchored in the Lord, you got nothing. You know, I was reminded, as I was putting this together, I have a, a dear friend whose church I was at last Sunday. And uh, he was a bivocational pastor. He not only pastored a church, but he also, because the church was small, he did other jobs, especially in the summer. And he used to work on the boardwalk at Ocean City, New Jersey. And while he was there, he worked at this, uh, this pizza parlor. While he was there, the owner of the store was there, and, and, and my friend, and the young son of the owner was in the uh, building. And uh, the young son was kind of playing around where he shouldn't have been. And apparently he pulled an entire rack of, of carts. You know how in, in a kitchen setting they'll have all kinds of trays and they're on extensively tall. Well, he started to climb up that rack. It fell over, fell on top of him. And one of the trays severed his foot. The father was beside himself. I mean, he almost passed out because of the condition of his son. They called 911. The ambulance was on the way. This man couldn't even leave the store because he felt he was the only one there and, and, and he needed to stay there. And, and, and even though Bob said, look, you go, he, he called his wife. He said, no, I, I got to stay here. And Bob was just very, very moved for him. And he prayed and then he went over and said, you know, 
and he began to share with him. He said, the Bible says the Lord's name is a strong tower. And the righteous run in when they're afraid. He said, I know you don't know the Lord, so I've been running into the strong tower for you, praying for your son, praying for you, praying for his safety and, and health. And he had an opportunity after that to share the gospel with this gentleman. You see, I understand where this is all coming from, but there's other parts to this that need to be considered. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Not only did he cite Job and his, you know, beating the wind, and God doesn't subvert judgment. His sons obviously were sinners. That's why they were dead. He, he cited history. He cited nature. Beginning in verse 19, look what he says. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow because God will not cast away the blameless. He suggests a way of escape, a way of hope. He says, nor will he uphold evildoers, yet he will fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. You see, if you acknowledge Christ, if you acknowledge him, we acknowledge Christ. Obviously, Job didn't, wasn't able to do that because Christ hadn't come yet. But if we acknowledge the Lord and seek for him, the Lord says, he will reward you. You know, there's a beautiful verse that says, you'll find me when you search, but you search with your whole heart. And people... If, there's, if there is a way out of a mess, it's to seek the Lord with all your heart. And let me tell you, folks, God knows a half-hearted search from a whole-hearted search. God knows when you've put everything into it because he's God, and he knows the end from the beginning. He will fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. But you see, you have to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. So there's Bildad's basic soliloquy, his, his message. Now, I got to tell you, Bildad had a problem. And what's Bildad's problem? He assumed that Job's suffering was simply because of sin. Really, that boils it down. He, he, he assumed and he made a really bad assumption that Job's problems were off from his sin. And he is telling Job, look, if you repent, if you recant, if you change your way, God will, God will bring it all back. In fact, notice what he says here. You're going to have a rightful habitation. Your beginning was small, but your latter will increase abundantly. In other words, God loves you and, and wants you to have it all. We were in our uh, growth group the other night. And we're reading through this. And I had an idea what I was thinking about this, but I didn't say anything to my group. And as we're reading it, one of my members, Bruce, said, doesn't this sound a lot like prosperity gospel? I just absolutely screamed out, absolutely, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. We had a, we had a wonderful time with it. But you see, why is that the case? Because you see, and you saw some of it even on the film that was just played, God wants you to have the best. In fact, this is often called uh, prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel, which is a belief held by some Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. Like, I got saved and now I'm never going to have another problem. I'm never going to get sick. I will always have money. And that's God's will for my life. And if it isn't, then I'm in sin. Then I made a mistake. Because faith, 
positive speech and donation to spiritual causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and believers that if we have faith in God, He will deliver security and prosperity. The doctrine proposes that it's God's will for His people to always be blessed. And the atonement, the reconciliation with God is interpreted to include the alleviation of sickness and poverty which are viewed as curses to be broken by faith. Now, I'll tell you, I understand where they're coming from, but there's a lot of problems there. Because the Bible tells us the exact opposite, doesn't it? As you have your scriptures, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Acts. I want to show you some places in the, in the scriptures that would really contradict everything that they believe. In Acts chapter 9... This is the, uh, the account of Paul on the road to Damascus when he met the Lord. And now the Lord is speaking to Annas and telling him, I'm going to send you a man. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about Saul, how he has much how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who, are call, who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Can you imagine you're, you're, the, you're, you're Saul? You're on the Damascus Road. You think you're doing the right thing. Saul really believed that he was doing the right thing, that he was protecting the Jewish people from this upstart way. And he has letters, and he's going to go, and he's going to persecute Christians. And he thinks he's right. And all of a sudden, he meets the Lord on the road. And he asks that really important question, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And I'm going, uh-oh. In modern vernacular, Houston, we have a problem. And then he says to you, I'm calling you to be a servant of mine, and I'm going to show you how much suffering you have to endure for my name's sake. Now, I don't know about you. I'm ready to sign on. Well, bring on the suffering. Everybody needs a little pain and anguish in their life. You know, a little Little, little, little downtime, little, little sickness. You know, it's fun to be let out of cities, and, and it's fun to be left half dead, and it's fun to be shipwrecked at sea and bitten by snakes, and, and, and all the wonderful things. You realize if Paul was one of our missionaries, he spent more time in jail than he didn't. I wonder if we'd actually support him. But you know what? He was a chosen vessel of the Lord. And he said, I'm going to show him what it costs to be a servant of the Most High God. We go to the Gospel of John. I know we're going backwards, but I did this on purpose. We go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 33, the last verse of the chapter. These things I have spoken to you, that in me 
you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Folks, if you expect to sign on and be a believer in Jesus Christ and just walk away scot-free and think that, that it's, it's like, you know, you're on millionaire acres, you've you, you got another thing coming. Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation. I'm not talking great tribulation of the seven years of the revelation type. I'm talking about just plain, ordinary. It isn't easy to be a Christian today, is it? Let's talk to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Poland. Let's talk to the people in Romania and Hungary, the people in those, those Muslim countries where their lives are hanging in the very balance to praise Jesus, where they're fighting to get a copy of this book. And we got it like 900 different translations and bindings and colors. There's a difference. There's a difference. Do you know, when I saw what was happening with Tatiana, I, I told Lauren, I said, I feel so guilty being here in the United States. My family is fighting for their very survival. And I'm sitting here ordering a latte. I feel guilty. And please, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but don't think it won't come here. Because it will. It will. And that will separate the true church from those that are kind of just like, it's a fun place to be and we like being here. Persecution separates. The Bible tells us we're going to have this. Psalm 10, another, another place. I'm just gonna, I don't have time to read the whole psalm, but I picked out just a, just a couple of verses from Psalm 10. Psalm 10 kind of picks up on the same theme. I'm trying to show you. It's Old Testament, New Testament. It's biblical. Psalm 10, look at uh, verses uh, 2 through 4. The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Skip over to verse 16, just for the sake of time. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice in the, to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. You know, sometimes, actually, those that are evil actually prosper more than us. It's the exact opposite of what Bildad's saying. I remember the hymn writer says, why do we wonder when others prosper? Living so wicked year after year. It seems like the wicked actually grows while those that are righteous are paying. Farther along, we'll understand it. We'll get it. Folks, the Bible declares the exact opposite. God never promised that you would have a bowl of cherries, but you know what God promised? God promised, oh, he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can cast your care upon me. Why? Because I care for you. That's what God promised. That's in the book of Jeremiah. He also promised, I will never leave you. Jeremiah, cast your care, First Peter. I got those two put together because I kind of wrote them together here. I have my, my editor-in-chief right here. So. Isaiah, I love this one. The book of Isaiah. One of my favorite hymns all times is how firm a foundation 
And a lot of it comes, the beginning of it comes from this verse in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The hymn writer said, Fear thou not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. Let me tell you, folks, that's what God promised. And you know what? Job was being upheld by the Lord. Job was upheld by the Lord. I, I can't imagine the pain and anguish he suffered and what he was enduring. But I know that he never wavered. He never failed. He never questioned. He never lost his faith. He never lost his trust. There's so many scriptures I want to use that somebody else gets to preach. And I'm like going nuts here because I'd like to be able to mention them. But I'll tell you, he's going to ultimately say, though he shall slay me, yet I shall in my flesh see my Lord. That's faith. You see, some people, when, when the trials and tribulations come, they begin to falter. Others get stronger. Can I tell you, Job's kind of a little bit like, uh, remember, uh, remember the movie in Rocky, Rocky Three, when Rocky was being beaten up by uh, Apollo? No, not by Apollo. He was being beaten up by Clubber Lang. And remember, the people on the side are saying, he's getting beat. Paul says, no, he's getting mad. Let me tell you, folks, we need to get mad at sin but we need to stand tall and we need to rely on the Lord because faithful is he who called who will do it. And we need to trust in him with the kind of trust that, uh, that Job had. Yes, there was some truth to what Bildad was saying, but there was a lot of error. Don't buy into the world's view. Build your rock. Build your hope on what God says. If you can find it here, you can count on it. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church family. So good to see so many back in the house of the Lord. We're so grateful that, that so much of this COVID situation maybe is, is, is dying off and relinquishing a little bit, and people are now feeling safer and more confident to come out. And it's so good to see your house filled on the Lord's Day morning. And Father, we just thank you for the word. I pray that, oh, Father, we've rightly divided it. I pray that we have encouraged your people and also helped them understand, yes, sin will be paid for, but God never promised that you would have a rose garden. He promised that in the world you'll have tribulation. But he reminds us, I overcame the tribulation. You can too through me. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I love you, Lord. And I thank you and praise you in and through and because of the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.